everyone, and welcome to the Insatiable Appetite a podcast for people who are in the business of food, making it, marketing it, selling it, and eating it too. Melissa Abbott here. I'm Vice President of Hartman Retainer Services, and we are so fortunate to have Nick Mendoza, founder and CEO at Neptune Snacks. He's joining us today. And Neptune, they are very unique. They manufacture, market, and sell sustainable fish jerky that supports responsible U.S. fisheries, in turn reducing seafood waste and driving change for good in the fishing industry and our oceans. Nick, it is so great to be connecting with you today to discuss one of our favorite topics, delicious and healthy snacking from brands with a unique purpose. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, maybe we can start out with some background and a little history on Neptune, uh, most notably your personal journey to Neptune's inception and the sourcing of undervalued yet delicious and very nutritious species with 100% traceability to the source. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's one of the most common questions I get when I, I tell people what I do and they're like, how do you end up you know, in a in position making a company? Uh, starting a company making fish jerky. And um, the backstory is that my career was actually in marine science and sustainable aquaculture research. Uh, but I actually partly grew up on a cattle ranch in New Mexico. So, um, you know, from, from an early age, um, an understanding of our food and where it comes from and, and having those farming and ranching roots really made a big impact on kind of my life views. Um, but from an early age, I also was always obsessed with the ocean and fish. And um, in middle school, was already Nick the fish guy. Uh, I went to high school and mostly grew up in San Diego. So those two things kind of came together after um, you know an early part of my career spent uh, doing research um, in eight countries. And I was lucky to do three transoceanic research expeditions, um, all kind of in the sustainable aquaculture and um, fishery space. And um, what it really came down to is, you know, I was passionate about the work. I was passionate about the opportunity that seafood has to sustainably feed the planet. Um, but obviously, the the broader global industry is is full of a lot of ills that um, have led to big problems, mostly in the last half of the century. And um, after some time, became a little jaded with working in research, realizing we'd have these industry partners, we'd run a study, we'd have great results. But then the, the actual adoption of the technology, you know, for example, more sustainable next generation aquafeeds for feeding carnivorous marine fish or, um, or something like that would often just be a report on a shelf. And, um, you know, all the while being Nick the Fish Guy, getting uh, questions from friends and family members and even sometimes random phone numbers that I didn't, <laughs> somebody had referred me as, hey, I'm at a restaurant. You know, what fish should I order? I'm at the grocery store. What's a bear Monday? Can I text you when I get home? Because I don't know how to cook it. Um, seafood has this kind of amazing um, acceptance as a really healthy protein, but then it's unique in the fact that it's a, it's a complex category. It's full of questions and uh, the general consumer is pretty unfamiliar. So we thought we could take that on with uh, a model that was built around the sustainability that I wanted to see in the world and uh, a product that could solve those problems and bring snacking to seafood and, and vice versa. 
Yeah, that is such a compelling story and very important too. And knowing just in all of the research we've done with consumers that those who are really do like seafood, they often don't cook it at home. To your point, they they sometimes don't know how to prepare. They don't feel confident oftentimes, or they they stick to uh, you know the seafood that they feel most comfortable with. Typically, a shrimp, you know, and then the salmon. We're I'm up here. We're in the Pacific Northwest, but it it t- generally tends to be the same ones over and over again. So it is you're you're right in that. So snacking in this regard kind of opens up the the field for greater opportunity. So with a myriad of jerky brands in today's marketplace, there aren't that many fish-based jerky, right? Let alone national brands that are both responsibly caught as well as traceable. Could you talk a little bit about how consumers are like responding to the products in comparison to say more conventional jerky? Yeah, definitely. It you know that's that's both one of our challenges and I think one of our greatest opportunities here that um, you know the jerky category is pretty well established. It's gone through its renaissance, um, you know, a half decade or decade ago, um, entering into kind of the natural foods better for you space with cleaner recipes and and better branding, better products that actually target you know a whole different demographic of consumers. But one of the first things I tend to say about Neptune snacks is that. We don't view ourselves as a jerky company. We view ourselves as a sustainable ocean snack company. And our goal and vision is to bring products to market that address the consumer needs of people who want to eat more fish and and other seafood. So, um, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean just fish. That doesn't necessarily mean just jerky. But um, in the future, we hope to launch other products similar. But there's there's definitely an educational barrier and some... um, you know, questions that arise with a, a new product like ours. Um, like you said, there are other fish jerkies on, on the market. There are um, a handful of great other innovative um, seafood-based snack companies entering the market, a lot of whom we collaborate with and, and we're brand friends with. Um, but it's, it is a lot of white space or blue space, you might say. Um, and generally, I think we have a, a bigger job educating buyers and consumers, but um, fortunately, you know, the product also speaks for itself in terms of taste and texture. And that's always the most important because your sustainability platform is is critical for mission-driven brand. Your health value prop is is really important, especially when it's a key one with a protein like seafood. But if it doesn't taste good, if your consumer doesn't enjoy and repeat, you know, the purchase of the product, um, you're kind of stuck in square one. Yeah, that's exactly right. And how have you found that, you know, I've noticed that it's rockfish and pollock that tend to be the vehicles for um, your jerky. And then there's these very culinary forward seasonings um, across your skews. You know, how how is the the pollock and the rockfish being, you know, is it the buyers that are have it? Like you mentioned that, that's really fascinating. So it's the buyer that might be the, the biggest obstacle these days, not necessarily even the consumer. Yeah, like I said, um, there's... Uh, it's it's opening up a bit, but there's sort of a rigid process a lot of times in the food distribution and retail. Uh, and then we're talking specifically, obviously, about brick and mortar sales um, versus the sales we do online, where we kind of control the message and how we you know communicate with our with our customers a bit more. But um, yeah, I mean, it's there's a lot of really compelling statistics in the category that, um, you know, it's it's nice to have a meeting and then hear a buyer sit back and say, huh, you know, that's really interesting. I actually never would have thought of that. For example, the fact that 80% of Americans um, identify as seafood consumers, that they eat fish. 
And that's more than identifies coffee drinkers. Um, yet you think about kind of the, the array of brands across this hundred, hundred plus billion dollar category, um, you know, including food service and, um, and retail. And it, it's nowhere near as broad. And I guess um, I, I hesitate to say sophisticated, but um, there's poor household penetration in the CP category. And we can demonstrate that and talk about the consumer's pain points and things like how uh, canned seafood and grocery seafood sales skyrocketed during the pandemic, showing this kind of uh, demand that um, typically food service and restaurants and catering, which is like I've heard 70% of seafood consumption have generally been where people go, but um, there's more exploration happening. There's you know people rolling up their sleeves and learning how to cook seafood. Uh, but to make it even easier with snacks, um, you know, is an opportunity to create a good sell story for us. Yeah. And we've seen, of course, tuna was like falling, you know, was flying off the shelves during the pandemic. And then it also increased, you know, more of the, and to some extent, the higher quality tin fishes, the sardines and some other, you know, smoked types of t um, canned fishes. So yet another opportunity for ease of consumption with it, with a jerky. Um, and, you know, certainly jerky and snacks uh, like jerky offer such nutrient density and protein um, and have been a trend that we have certainly been tracking for quite some time here at the Hartman Group. And, you know, consumers, especially that younger uh, consumer, the Gen Z, the millennials, they are increasingly looking for more snack experiences that reflect sustainable sourcing, more mindful ecological packaging. And I think that one, that latter point is, is really uh, critical, is the packaging itself. Now, you guys seem to be on trend with these distinctions as a member of the Upcycled Food Association and your commitment to packaging that is plastic neutral in partnership with Repurpose Global. Can you talk a little bit about those efforts? Yeah, absolutely. Maybe the, the most linear way I could do it is kind of do a CETA shelf you know, uh, explanation of our, our model. So um, starting with our, our fishermen and our fisheries, um, we were very specific in selecting those um, with the goals in mind of, you know, the highest quality MSC certified, best choice um, seafood sources and um, traceability to the source. So every packet we produce is traceable back to the fish, fisher and fishery that it was caught. And we can tell a story of why that's so important, to, you know, to have integrity in supply chains to avoid illegal, unsustainable, unethical seafood. But also um, the fact that both sourcing local and from these fisheries that are well monitored can reduce waste, for example. So um, Wild Alaska Pollock Fishery is the number two MSC certified in the world. The rockfish that we source has been called the greatest Cinderella recovery story in conservation and in terms of fisheries. There's um, New York Times articles about it, if you want to look it up, but um, essentially being able to tell that story. And then um, from there, you know, the fish through our production process, we're using actually a lot of um, undervalued, underutilized fillets, meaning, you know, a large company or a subscription box, for example, might order 10,000 four ounce portions of, of uh, rockfish. But if a portion is three and a half ounces or it's triangular and it's not that perfect looking table piece, um, those cuts often fall into, you know, pet food fertilizer or are discarded entirely. And, you know, that's a travesty from my, from my perspective, 50% of seafood can go to waste. So um, we're tapping into the premium quality white tablecloth quality fish that should stay in the kind of 
premium category and then um, using it for a product that's a good vehicle for it. So then um, every step of the manufacturing when we're taking the product actually into package, we offset the plastic use through the repurpose global um, partnership that you mentioned. So uh, both pouches, which are what the consumer has the most questions about, obviously, is this you know physical thing that they're holding, but even the pallet wrap and uh, packaging for ingredients and tape that is plastic or petroleum-based, we offset um, by sponsoring reclamation efforts in places like India, where communities are going out cl- collecting environmental and ocean-borne plastics and bringing them to facilities that can actually process them. So um, kind of a classic one-for-one, almost like carbon trade model, but um, actually employing uh, communities and creating a storyline that uh, I think it's important for the consumer to hear. And the last thing I'll say on that as well is that we often get some flack about not having compostable packaging. And I am pretty passionate about the compostable packaging topic because you know the vast majority of those Corn, ma- corn-based spoons and lids and things that we see and touch on a day-to-day basis, um, almost none of them actually end up in a commercial composting facility or actually composted. So, you know, yes, a lot of them are made from plants, but they also contain just as many toxins or um, chemicals that you would be that would be found in a petroleum-based product, and they also don't end up in any place that they'll end up breaking down. So. Um, super anti-greenwashing and we're clear about that even if we receive criticism sometimes for the compostable you know we're not just going to check the box in terms of that um so in that way that kind of educational approach and and our kind of vision of you know somebody buying our product and and hopefully diving a bit deeper both into seafood sustainability and also maybe the, the plastic question um is a big part of kind of our overall goal as a brand that that's really fascinating because the majority of consumers really don't understand that the the specific compostable packaging that you might get at a um, at a fast casual or some kind of a restaurant or a takeout uh, that it's it's born out of industrial agriculture by and large most likely and then to your point that we just don't have systems in place here in the U.S. in North America uh, to properly compost and. It, that that just goes to your point to saying like the idea of greenwashing and that do you feel like more and more consumers are perhaps becoming more aware of this idea of greenwashing or are have we not even reached that that point yet where there's a great there, that understanding still needs to be uh there's a there's a timeline on that no absolutely i think um things are changing really quickly and we've we've only been at this for a couple of years but just in that time the average consumer um has changed dramatically in terms of their awareness and also knowledge about uh, climate change and plastic pollution and ocean issues. Um, one of those vehicles being a uh, seaspiracy, which we, we could get into later if you'd like, because there's a lot uh, possibly to talk about there. But um, it's pretty inspiring to see. Um, you know, a lot of our, our posts online and our, our ads get comments and questions, um, and they tend to be about sustainability. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's been cool to watch just in the progress of a, a few years, and I think uh, it bodes well for the future. Well, you, you mentioned Seaspiracy, <laughs> and um, as someone personally who appreciates really high quality in well, um, well, you know, mindful seafood, um, and seeing all of these plant-based seafood type seafoods come out, 
from my perspective, um, it, it really feels like, why are we not paying more attention to what's happening in, the, in our oceans? And can you speak to a little bit about, you know, what happened, uh, you know, within that space of Seaspiracy and how it might have um, given consumers uh, a, a message that might not exactly be in alignment with, with what is happening? Yeah, so Seaspiracy, I think, was compelling and powerful in its ability to reach, um, you know, it became the number one Netflix um, documentary in the UK and the US and many countries around the world for for a time. And um, there was a really important and strong kind of emotional appeal that was made there. In terms of the actual facts and truth about this, the sustainability science and, and making a claim like there's no such thing as sustainable seafood, um, you know, it, as someone who was really excited to know to see this film, you know that it was coming out in previews, uh, and then seeing it and seeing the approach that they took, um, you know, it was ultimately a film with the outcome that everyone should be a vegan. And veganism, I think, is an important movement. It net net is taking down the carbon footprint of the average, you know, uh, consumer that that is vegan. And there are many cultures around the world to, you know, most, most people eat a plant-based diet, but um, it's also sort of a, a diet of privilege in some cases, and to some degree ignores the fact that, for example, 2 billion people around the planet rely on seafood as their primary source of protein, um, you know, that's on the one hand. And beyond that, if you actually do a life cycle analysis, for example, one was just done on the Wild Alaska Pollock fishery resource. Um, our fish has half the carbon footprint of tofu with no fresh water use, no agricultural fertilizers or inputs, no land conversion, and again, half half the energy cost because you know this is a, a well-cut product. And as long as the pieces are in place to avoid overfishing, you know, environmental destruction, the other things that happen when you don't have a regulated fishery, the oceans have a tremendous ability to produce um, and the you know, an acre of ocean can produce 20 times more food than an acre of land with no fresh water. So I think they made a very concise point that, you know, don't eat fish. And what we really should be asking is, you know, what what's between the lines here that, you know, the same filmmakers made Cowspiracy a, a few years ago, and it had a similar message and which was largely true because um, industrial beef production is one of the greatest ills in our food system. But then you look at regenerative grazing and, um, you know, ways of raising red meat that actually mimic, you know, bison migrations and sequester carbon and um, the kind of holistic management approach. And that's an amazing movement that can actually have a net benefit on climate change. The lucky thing for the seafood category, I think, is that after cowspiracy, there was a huge surge in interest in things like grass-fed and regenerative um, farming techniques. And I think now the average, in just the short time since that film was released, the average consumer um, is much more interested in the kind of Pandora's box has been opened. Whereas before, you know, we would talk about, I would talk to people about seafood issues and they're like, huh, I don't really know anything about that. I just, I know I'm not supposed to eat salmon or am I, or only wild or, you know, there's, there's those kind of questions. And um, the last thing I'll say, I guess, is that, yeah, you could you could make a similar film about corn or soy or anything. Right. It's like Monsanto has taken over and destroyed our global food system. So you should never eat plants. It's like, well, that's both true and false. You know, it's 
it's one of those sorts of things. So um, overall, we're heading in the right direction with awareness, but um, a little unfortunate that this that message was presented in Seaspiracy. Thank, thank you for um, your explanation of that. I appreciate it because I think, and your comparison to, um, you know, cowspiracy and beef being bad, um, whereas, you know, it's where is the, you know, what kind of beef, where is it from regenerative versus um, confined animal feeding operations. So, and the same thing with, with seafood, you know, how is it, how is it fished and everything behind it? Um, so I think that really does help because there are a lot of questions and just like the murky un not unknown um, around, you know, the origins of seafood. Um, so now where we are going to be having our sustainability tracker coming out, which we uh, produce every two years, our sustainability study, uh, it's going to be released at the end of September. And we know that packaging sustainability um, is a key topic for consumers today. Um, so it's very fascinating to hear about repurposing ocean plastic and, um, you know, contributing towards helping out communities in India um, and also paying attention to upcycling, as you mentioned. Now, uh, maybe shifting gears just a little bit, and we think about how we, you touched on this a little bit about um, e-commerce versus brick and mortar, thinking about your go-to-market strategy and, you know, so many consumers, you know, turned to online uh, in 2020 with the pandemic. Um, and so I was, I was really happy to find Neptune Fish Jerky on Thrive Market, for example. So are you finding more success with e-commerce these days, um, or is brick and mortar kind of your, your, your way into the future? Yeah, good question. Um, so from the beginning, we started out kind of entirely as an e-commerce brand, which is pretty common, um, especially for a small food and beverage company, um, which is a great opportunity to learn who your consumer actually is and what motivates them, what questions they have, what resonates. Um, and so up until about 12 months ago, the vast majority of our sales were online. But um, in the last quarter or two, retail has actually eclipsed our e-commerce sales, and we view the future of, you know, our goal of building a national brand and the flagship company for sustainable ocean snacks in the United States as happening in retail. Um, though the landscape is changing a lot and there's even like this hybrid of, you know, shopping online for your groceries and uh, it's not entirely clear how fast that transition is going to happen despite how much the pandemic accelerated it. Um, it's important to have a presence in both places and the scalability is really a lot more viable in, in uh, retail. Um, in e-commerce generally, you know, when you have a, a low price point, you know, we have a seven or $8 packet of jerky and, you know, maybe people are getting a combo pack, but scaling that through digital ads or something is um, a lot more challenging than if we were selling, you know, a, a boat with, <laughs> uh, yeah, for $10,000 a piece or something. But, um, that aside, we love you know having physical presence and the ability to do demos and communicate with people live and continue to keep this in-person and virtual feedback loop going as we as we move forward and even think about future products as well. That leads to my next question, Nick. <laughs> um, so your branding of Neptune Snacks is really smart. Um, it the fact that it's Neptune Snacks, it enables portfolio expansion well beyond jerky. So, you know, are there plans if you can share for expanding into other formats um, of re really responsible uh, source seafood-based snacks or, or beyond snacks? Yeah, let's see how much I, <laughs> I, I can reveal or, or would like to. Um, 
So the short answer is yes. And we've had some um, R&D up to this point and are, are planning to continue that. Um, I'm very bullish on seaweeds. Uh, I think they're, they're so nutrient dense. They're one of the most regenerative, uh, carbon friendly crops on the planet. And there's such a cool economy sprouting up around uh, that, um, that category of food. So we've done um, some development for seaweed-based products that follow the same pattern as you know, our current products. A very storied sourcing model, um, highly nutritious, delicious, and uh, bringing that seafood into the snacking and convenience space. So it's something that you can pick up and take with you and um, removes a lot of the pain points, you know, no cooking, no questions about, um, you know, how do I handle this? And, and is, am I buying something that I, sh that I should be purchasing, for example, from the sustainability perspective? So um, I don't want to go into any details about what the format might be, but um, when, we, when we think about the future portfolio and the array of possible snacks, um, those are, that's sort of the template. And um, we plan on and going kind of across um, ingredient categories, I guess, but um, sticking to snacking at least, you know, for the next yeah. five years or so. Um, and well, we see there's, yeah. Oh, no, I was just gonna, that certainly makes sense with snacking being one of those popular eating occasions out there. Um, and we only see that, you know, increasingly popularized as consumers continue to seek nutrient dense snacks. Um, I was just going to say too how how smart that is regarding uh, sea vegetable. I I tend to call them sea vegetables. They they are also called seaweed, um, but the mineral content of of seaweeds and sea vegetables is something that you know with our depleted soil, there's so much benefit beyond that. And then also with your ability uh, to really provide that really like up leveled seasoning, like the the juniper. Uh, jerky that you guys have is just amazing. So I, I just can't wait to see how you might be able to figure out how to incorporate those Cajun and juniper flavors in, in a, perhaps in a seaweed. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> it's one of the things that gets me most excited too. And um, kind of one of the most fun parts of uh, being a food founder and a foodie in general, that's, that's a part of it I didn't touch on at all before this is that um, from a young age, I've always really loved cooking, especially seafood and experimenting. And so that played a big role kind of, I think, in in the direction of starting Neptune as well. Yeah. And, you know, where do you see, Nick, the evolution of redefined quality in seafood snacking? You know, is it going to go just beyond it, it might encompass things like seaweed, but I just think about how, and you mentioned the Monterey Bay Aquarium, I, I believe earlier, um, their watch program. Is that something that we can anticipate mainstreaming maybe into, say, retailer seafood cases in more packaged CPG products and at, at restaurants? That It seems like that seems that is sort of the gold standard these days. Yeah, no, that's a, a great question as well. Um, there was a whole module in my uh, graduate program in sustainable aquaculture about certifications, labeling, and recommendation schemes like the uh, Monterey Bay Aquarium Seafood Watch program. Um, the interesting thing is, you know, this Monterey Bay Aquariums is certainly the best recognized along with MSC. Um, it's not actually a true certification. It's, you know, a report-based green, yellow, red um, kind of rec. And um, the, th the one thing I can say is that 
there needs to be a very clear and singular, you know, communication to the consumer for um, what they should be buying from a sustainability perspective and and whether it's binary or whether it's the Monterey Bay Aquarium, um, seafood is complicated. And that's that's one of the biggest challenges for the category. But the diversity and number of species and sources and, you know, hundreds of, of um, potential inputs, ingredients um, is also one of the greatest opportunities and what's most exciting from a culinary perspective. Uh, I think we're going to get to a point where it's it's less of a challenge and more of like a palette for innovation that with all these different um, up and coming companies doing different things with ocean based um, food. Um, interestingly, I'm currently actually part of a blue carbon economy kind of uh, they call it an accelerator. Basically, they gathered experts from all over the world to address exactly the question you just asked. How do we make a really clear, truthful, concise data based um, platform or, or means of communication and seafood watch people are involved you know alexandra cousteau and influencers and seaweed producers etc so it's pretty exciting it's you know hundreds of uh, experts from around the planet it just started and, and the goal is to create basically what you're talking about because um, right now there's not there's not one solution though there's a few that sort of lead the way so it's called blue carbon economy is that yeah that yeah do you envision that possibly being a certification in the future? Interesting. So I'm not in charge of it. I mean, you know, it was just asked to participate and um, who knows? It's the actually, like, as it started, the, the approach was, let's see what happens here. It's sort of a Google sponsored and, um, and kind of like a design thinking based group. And so, uh, they just they just completed one on regenerative agriculture and created some really cool tools and um, that both help consumers and producers and suppliers. So it'll be exciting to see what comes from this because uh, again and again, what comes up about seafood is like people just don't know where to start. Um, you know, hey, it's salmon. Is it wild? Is it farmed? If it's farmed, where is it from? What production system? You know, there's and all of those affect whether it's good or bad for the planet and high quality or low quality. So um, if we could simplify that, that would be great. 100% agree with that too. And we know how <laughs> nutritious and delicious and, um, and to your point too about, uh, you know, folks texting you and, and trying to reach you about how to cook the barramundi. You know, I think that there's opportunity too outside for the, you know, the culinary, culinary realm around how to cook you know, the sustainable seafood too. But in the meantime, um, what's really great is that there's, you know, fresh jerky like yours that consumers can feel really confident about. So how can folks find uh, Neptune? Where where can they find you? Yeah, exciting. So um, we, like I said, sell on our website, neptunesnacks.com or on Amazon, you know, Amazon's choice. Um, you mentioned Thrive Market. Um, and then a lot of our retailers have online so those will pop up if you search us. Um, we're also in about 350 stores across the country currently. Um, kind of Pacific Northwest centric, but a lot of places in New York and, and elsewhere. So uh, if you drop us a line and from whatever region you're from to our website, we'll get back to you with the list of, of stores near you to support. But easiest way is going to be online. <laughs> Fabulous. I'm so excited to see where the brand heads in the future, especially with your expertise at the helm and, and the you know, 
in, in addition to the packaging and um, just all of the additional uh, the boards that you're sitting on and so forth that are going to help support fisheries and packaging and communities um, and getting healthy snacks um, that support really great, you know, sustainable, responsibly caught seafood into consumers' hands. I think it's fantastic. So, I, you know, I'm really grateful you've taken the time to meet with us today. And we definitely look forward to the days ahead when we can learn more about where food culture and snacking are headed. So best wishes on the success of Neptune Fish Jerky, Nick. Uh, great to speak with you today. I'm so great to speak with you. And um, yeah, we're just honored to be a part of this movement and to get to speak with people like you. So um, and we look forward for what's ahead. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Nick. <laughs>